This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. We know that there's a bunch of headlines out there. Charlie and I talking about them earlier when it comes to COVID and the virus. Among them, uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson warning that, quote, extra precautions might be needed even after the July 19th date, he said, will mark the end of the country's COVID restrictions. So we are watching a lot. And for what our guest is watching when it comes to the virus, let's bring in Dr. Ruth Karen. She's Professor of International Health and Director of the Center for Immunization Research and Founding Director of the Johns Hopkins Vaccine Initiative at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, supported by Michael R. Bloomberg, of course, founder of Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Dr. Karen joins us on the phone from Chevy Chase, Maryland. Dr. Karen, nice to have you here with us. I want to get into your focus, which is, I know, looking at pregnant women in general. Help me, though, make some sense of some of the conversations you all at Hopkins are having when it comes to the Delta variant. So really nice to be with you, Carol. We are following, of course, as is everybody, uh, the progression of the Delta variant very carefully. Um, It certainly it is is here in our country, as in many countries around the world. And as I'm, I'm sure you've heard, we really do expect it to take over as the dominant strain in the coming weeks. What does that mean when that takes over the dominant strain? Well, meaning that that it will, when people are infected with COVID, they will be infected with the Delta variant. And the reason that we're concerned about that is because we know that this virus is both more infectious than other strains of COVID that we've had before and more lethal. But the really important thing to know and the, and the good news in all of this is that the vaccines that we have do offer protection against the Delta variant. So the best thing that we can do is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. And that includes pregnant women. And I know that there's been some debate, you know, throughout this process among those who are pregnant uh, and trying to figure out what's the best and safest thing to do. Weigh in on this, if you would. Yeah, so I'd like to say a couple of things about this. And and I very much sympathize with um, pregnant people and with their providers because one of the problems we have is that pregnant people were not included in trials of the COVID vaccines. There are some trials going on now. But so um, these individuals and their providers had to make decisions initially when there wasn't much data. We didn't know about the safety of these vaccines in pregnant individuals. That situation has largely changed. Um, we are collecting data. We have been since January about the use of these vaccines in, in pregnant people. Uh, the CDC has maintained a registry of, of pregnant people who get the COVID vaccines, as do many other countries around the world. And so we have increasing evidence of the safety of these vaccines 
in pregnant individuals. It's also really important to know, and I think um, the CDC makes makes a good point about this, as do many others, that pregnant people are really at elevated risk of severe COVID disease and death compared to non-pregnant people of the same age. So it's really very important for people who are in uh, positions of making decisions about whether um, to become vaccinated to understand that. Well, and I also think what's really important in understanding, Dr. Karen, is understanding what this vaccine does. And I think there's been some misinformation out there about it changes genetic code and help us. And I know I've done this, I've gone to doctors many times throughout the past year to understand exactly what's going on. And you know, in later months, obviously, what what this vaccine is all about. Can you explain it again, exactly what this vaccine does? So these vaccines, um, whether they're the the mRNA vaccines, um, the Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech, or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, um, they're each, those are made a little bit differently, but they have the same end result, which is that they um, have your body produce um, the, the COVID-19 uh, virus spike protein, and then your body makes antibodies to that spike protein, and that's what protects you against COVID-19. Um, these, are not, uh, um, these are not vaccines that can integrate into your genetic material, change your genetics, or change the, the genetics of, of a fetus or a baby. These vaccines don't have any effect on fertility. So I think those are both important things for people to know. Agreed. And I'm so glad you laid it out. Dr. Ruth Karen, Professor of International Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, joining us on the phone from Maryland. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. Shares of American Express, they're up about 1% in the Thursday trade. The company upping the ante to win more premium card customers, but yep, as Charlie mentioned, it's going to cost more. Here with what they are doing and exactly maybe why they're doing it, Bloomberg News Finance Team, Sally Bakewell, she's in our interactive broker studio. So lay it out for us, what Amex is up to. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but lay it out for us, Sally. Well, I think companies are really starting to pull out all the stops again to lure customers to take on new credit cards after they retreated from some of these kinds of deals during the pandemic. Because we weren't traveling, right? And Amex is known for its travel perks. Exactly. Now the economy is reopening, travel travel is firing up, and folks are shopping and dining out. And Amex is adding a number of perks to its platinum card. And let me tell you a bit about them. They include $200 in hotel credits and deals chartering private jets, um, <laughs> which of course, you know, that's sort of exactly my um, my jam there. Um, and it's also branching out a bit from its typical dining and travel offerings. Um, it's offering card holders $20 a month to use for digital products like Audible, as well as $25 toward high-end gym Equinox. So yeah, they having they're having to be a bit more creative in a bid to keep their affluent customers. Um, because of course, yeah, people haven't been able to travel during the pandemic. And so they've had to go a little bit beyond um, the normal travel and entertainment type so offerings. So it feels like it's much more of a lifestyle card or trying to become more of a lifestyle char- card. It's not just about people who are traveling to cool places. I mean, they kind of got a smackdown right during the pandemic, like a lot of cards. But nonetheless, it feels like they've been thinking about it differently. 
Yeah, and I, it's spent months working on this card um, mm-hmm. under the code name Project Pentagon, and it is going to cost you. Its um, annual fee is going up from 550 to 695 um, You know, credit card companies, they don't want to lose their best customers, so they pay a lot of money up front to acquire customers via advertising, via sign-up bonuses, and actually that can make the investment quite hard to recoup. Um, there are analyst estimates out there that for the Chase Sapphire card, it took them some five and a half years um, to make good on the investments they had to put in to lure customers. Because of course, that was in 2016 with 100,000 points as a sign up bonus. Well, and it's interesting, I'm thinking about the cost of it. I mean, almost $700, that's pretty steep in comparison to even some of the premium cards that are out there, right? Yeah, I think most people, um, it's generally $500, right. isn't it? Um, <laughs> which you which know, is a lot of money. It's still a lot. And you get that in exchange for special access to airport lounges, extra rewards for travel and spending and other perks. But given much of those were halted in the pandemic, yeah, they've had to come up with other ways to entice customers. Sally, generally speaking, these bank cards or these, um, I mean, American Express, this is what they're all about. But I even think about some of the banks that have cards. How important are they? as a revenue source. And I think about for American Express in particular, the platinum, the high end, I guess I'm assuming among their card members, they might have more green cards, right? American Express cards. I know the travel, like we at Bloomberg Travel, right? Like we have American Express. I mean, where do they make the most money? Is it these high, the higher end cards? Is it the travel, the business travel? Yeah, I think it's the premium, the higher mm. end. Um, and it's been tough for them. They've been in a bit of a bind because it does cost them so much um, for to build up these high end card offerings. And so that's why it's so important for them to retain their customers. Um, but also don't forget, you know, they had to set aside, a lot of banks had to set aside or card lenders had to set aside extra provisions to cover souring loans last year, which also pinched their profitability. So they were facing um, they were being confronted with some pretty tough forces there. Um, and But actually, still, that said, attrition levels weren't actually that high for premium cards um, at KPM, City and Amex. So it does show that, that their efforts pay off um, to keep hold of those premium customers, the more affluent customers. Right. The last thing they want to do is somebody like snipping up the card, cutting up the card, right? Exactly. I mean, because it's, yeah, I mean, the longer you stay with it the and the more likely you are to use that card if you've got it uh, in your wallet. Um, yeah. It's a loyalty thing. For still sure. a lot of money, $700. Yes. Uh, good, good, good to get the breakdown of what they're up to. Sally Bakewell, she's our finance team leader at Bloomberg News here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. So this story, it's our Bloomberg Big Take today. It's also in the heist issue of Bloomberg Business Week, which is hitting newsstands now online at Bloomberg.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal. It's a story about robbing the Xbox vault. For more on this in story, inside story of the $10 million gift card cheat. Yep, you heard right. Here it is. Let's get to Bloomberg Business Week. Features editor Max Chafkin. He is responsible for putting this heist issue together. He's here in our interactive broker's studio. Uh, this is This issue, first of all, really is your baby. I know Joel created the idea a few years ago, but then he said, all right, Max, put it together. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it, it gets uh, more and more fun every year. Every year I think, oh, they're-, they're Does no, it really? They're, well, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, as you said, it's whole issue dedicated to basically true crime, and it's our opportunity to try to give people some, um, some interesting, fun stuff to read on the beach. Um, and as you said, you know, one of, one of the stories in the issue is about this crazy uh, gift card scam. You know, you, you sort of think of gift cards as being a 90s phenomenon, which of course they are, mm-hmm. uh, but they, uh, they continue in various forms to, to power a lot of the commerce that, that happens, uh, you know, o- online. And, and uh, this 
Microsoft contractor, this, uh, basically a junior engineer, uh, discovered this loophole to basically print an unlimited number of gift cards for the Microsoft Xbox, which is their you know video game platform. What's great about this is this Microsoft engineer was hired to find problems in the system, kind of, right? He found a problem. <laughs> <laughs> he just did not report it. Um, and it's it's funny, uh, the, the writer Austin Carr gets into the, the investigation and, you know, Microsoft initially thought this was, you know, some, some external hackers, you know, maybe a really sophisticated operation. Uh, you know, it turns out, uh, I guess this is often the case with, with crime in general, but, you know, it turns out it's a, it's a much simpler scam. Uh, basically, this guy was guessing his colleagues' passwords. Uh, there were other people on his team with passwords such as, you know, very secret one, two, three, and uh, things like that. So it's a nice reminder that you got to uh, work on, remember your password security. Make them a lot more complicated. Did it take a while, though? I mean, well, first of all, in the process, he actually racked up a bunch of money, right? Yeah, as you said, ten million bucks. Uh, the the basic uh, con worked like he got the he got the gift cards, and then he would go on the internet. There are these websites, uh, one of which is called Paxful, where people trade these things. It's just like another uh, financial product, basically. And we we talk about the way that which, which gift cards are kind of you could think of them as a virtual currency, not right. not unlike Bitcoin. So you can take these gift card codes, you can swap them for crypto, you can then basically, you know, launder your crypto. And then at the other end, you've got cash. And he was using that to buy real estate, uh, you know, high end vacations. And when the police caught up with him, it's one of my favorite details of the story, he had a list of thi- of his sh- basically a shopping list, which included uh, things like one yacht and seaplane, which, you know, it's just a fantastic detail. He's just, you know, aspiring to these things. Illegally. You, you got to have a seaplane. <laughs> um, hey, just want to mention a headline Financial Times, Robinhood targeting a valuation of at least $40 billion in its IPO. We talked about that IPO earlier. I do wonder, Max, when you guys are going through and Austin's going through this process, I mean, it, it requires going through a lot of legal documents, right, to tell the tale? Yeah, yeah. Austin, uh, I think, went through, it says in the story, you know, thousands of pages of documents, uh, you know, talking to basically investigators, people who are involved in the case. Um, you know, that, that that's kind of the fun of a story like this is where it's, it's all sort of laid out there. And of course, prosecutors are, you know, really good at, at, at telling a story. But often when w- that story is, gets buried in just, a, you know, just reams and reams of documents. And also, uh, you know, a case gets sort of covered by the press early, like when it first happens. But then you kind of miss all these you know, really, you know, wonderful and interesting details. And, you know, I, I would be shocked if Austin is not getting calls from, you know, Hollywood producers and things like that, because it really, it does have the kind of stranger than fiction uh, quality to it. I feel like the whole magazine has a bunch of those cinematic uh, store or those stories that would play so well on the big screen. I mean, this is what's interesting. It's, it's not, you know, fiction. This is reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I do think this story, you know, it, first of all, it, it, it really makes you think about about these digital currencies, because one of his big legal arguments in the, in the case was that, you know, hey, this isn't a crime because these things are not real. Microsoft is just making up these codes and then giving people right. free stuff. It's not money. But of course, it is money, you know, because he was able to buy stuff and Microsoft has then taken the loss for it. So it kind of challenges your sense of like, what, you know, what is money and, 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 and that sort of thing. When you look at the whole issue overall the pandemic I know part, the issue gets into the magazine the heist issue gets into that the pandemic was ripe for fraud yeah absolutely or created situations that were ripe for fraud I mean just a, just a fun fact the number of romance scams went way up during the pandemic What's a which, romance scam I think it's when so you meet somebody on the internet oh, and then okay. they start asking you for money 
Um, but it, it makes sense, right? Because everyone is stuck at home. They had a lot more free time. Um, they're maybe feeling, you know, more vulnerable than normally. Right. And, and that obviously leaves us, uh, you know, vulnerable to, to scammers. And, and we saw a lot of that. The story, the, the issue has, you know, a couple other kinds of uh, pandemic-related scams. But I, I do think there was a, it was a moment, you know, in addition to the boom in, you know, uh, bread flour and yeast and things <laughs> like that, there was a boom for, uh, for fraud. Listen, I had a conversation, uh, a phone call. That they were so persistent. They're like, we're, we're, we work with your healthcare company and you can actually get things like sunscreen and all these like, consumer products that were, I guess, broadly considered healthcare types of products. And they had, I'm not stupid, I don't think I am, but I was like, oh, well maybe that's a new thing that our healthcare plan is doing before I realized when they were asking for all this information that if they were part of my healthcare plan, they should have had. There was a lot of things going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think, Max you know, didn't say I wasn't stupid. I, I just noticed <laughs> that there was no uh, backing me up. But that's okay. I still like you. Go ahead. Do not give your personal information to random people. I did you on the stop. Phone. I didn't do that. Uh, yeah, the, 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 I think we're really we're only probably beginning to reckon with all the ways that the pandemic, you know, changed things and, yeah. and created weird opportunities. And, and this is certainly one, um, you know, another, another thing that, you know, it's getting a lot of chatter. It's mentioned briefly here is just, you know, benefits fraud. Obviously a lot of people were yep. uh, applying for government benefits that, that, that creates a huge opportunity for scammers, you know, and it goes on and on lots of, you know, fake medical stuff as well. Got a favorite story. Can you do that? Do you have a favorite child? I hope the reporters are so, listening. <laughs> so if you, if, if you should read this Xbox story and then you should also read this wonderful piece that we posted uh, yesterday about uh, an Instagram influencer. This was like a, a, a big time fashion guy. He was working with all the, ma- the, the big brands and he was also a uh, really epic money launderer. And so it's a, it's a wonderful yarn that, that you should check out. And you think ransomware is the big problem, but this story gets into, we only have a few seconds, gets into really what's the problem. Yeah, they're they're called BEC scams. Um, And this, if you work in the in an accounting department or stuff, you probably know about this. This is it's it's like the dumbest scam there is. (laughs) But basically, someone convinces you to 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 wire money to the wrong place, and huge organizations fall for this. That dude, by the way, has some great nicknames. Uh, But we're not going to give it away. You're going to have to go pick up the magazine, go online, or go on the Bloomberg. Max Chafkin, thank you so much. You put the magazine and that heist issue together. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg. Quick Takes, Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. So earlier this week, I got a chance to moderate a Bloomberg panel on how we work, how leaders are leading and organizing for the future to make sure that they and their teams have what they need. All of this we know is impacting employers' relationship with employees, clients, customers, strategy, and really attracting new talent. The panel was sponsored by the Boston Consulting Group, BCG. One participant was Tamla Oates-Forney. She's Senior VP and Chief People Officer for Waste Management, a really great voice on this panel. She's kind enough to join me once again to talk about this topic. She is in Houston, Texas. Tamla, it is good to have you back with us. That panel, I learned a lot. I've been talking about it with uh, some of my colleagues we are kind of finding our way forward when it comes to what is work, what's the relationship between employees and employers. How do you all see it at Waste Management? And you were a company that your workers had to keep working um, when the pandemic hit because they had to be out there uh, cleaning up after everyone, collecting garbage. It was a crucial service. Absolutely. I I will tell you that, and I heard you talking earlier before I joined about the competitive nature in the workforce, and we are seeing that. In fact, it was something that we were experiencing even prior to the pandemic. And so we were looking at ways to really augment and showcase the value 
of a WM job that far exceeded that of a take-home pay. And we recently launched this new program known as Your Tomorrow, where we're providing debt-free educational benefits for our employees. And beginning in January 2022, it's going to be a benefit that's not only eligible for employees, but their dependents as well, meaning their spouses and their children. And we think this is a creative and innovative and competitive way to, one, attract people to waste management, but not only attract them, but retain them. Tell so this is a, this, this is a big deal. Why did you do it? And, and can anybody access this and anybody's family access this? So why did we do it? One, because there are a couple of things. One, our employees were asking about educational reimbursement benefit in its traditional sense. And so it's something that our employees were interested in. But when we looked at the old model, it was more of a reimbursement. So the burden was on the employee to find the school and university, and they would have to come out of pocket up front, and the company would pay for that. So we were looking at options for an educational benefit, and we discovered Guild Education, which has been a phenomenal partner for us. And with Guild Education, every employee that's a full-time employee at Waste Management is eligible for the benefit so long as they've completed 90 days, 90 days of pre-employment. They have to go through a probationary period. But on their 91st day, this is yet another benefit that we offer. And through Guild, once they apply for the benefit, they get an education coach, right? And they will help them determine what opportunities are best aligned with their interest and also their career aspiration that's aligned with us at Waste Management. So once they come on, they are eligible for the benefit, and the next year their family members will be eligible for the benefit. And we looked at this for a couple different reasons. One, we know that we're going to have to reskill really fast, mm-hmm. and we needed an educational partner that could help us upskill and reskill the workforce to be aligned with the changes that are happening in the workforce. So we were I would like to say we were proactive and we were ahead of COVID, but once COVID hit, it really just exacerbated the need, and this was a, a, a a really a good program that we're offering. We launched it in April of this year. Well, and uh, as you said, I mean, we saw this pre-pandemic, you know, employers were beginning to fight for workers. You don't want to lose workers. It costs the company when that happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. On average, if we look at the our drivers and technicians, if you will, those are the ones that are most critical to our our survival as a company, if you will. And we were seeing that on average it's about $23,000 or more a year mm. to when we lose a driver. So we can't afford to do that. And you think about COVID and the demand for drivers and technicians have increased exponentially. You have companies that big box stores that are, you know, um, they have more customers and more customers generate more products that they have to deliver and ship from different places. So they have to hire truck drivers. And so the demand Mm. has gone up, but the supply is somewhat dwindling. I'm the mother of two Gen Zs, and most Gen Zs are not thinking about a career driving a truck. And so what we're trying to do is bring them into our organization. We're looking at them not just for a job, but for the career. And our program is called Your Tomorrow because it talks about how we're planning and supporting you on having a career, not just for today, but for tomorrow. We have to have a way of getting them in. And this is something that is addressing a need that a lot of people have in terms of education 
and we're solving that for them. And I think this is going to put us at a, a competitive advantage. Tamla, no as you, Tamla, as you know from the panel, we talked for an hour and I could have talked for more hours, because <laughs> several more, because there's so much to unpack. We just have about 40 seconds left here. Help me with the debate between workers staying at home, workers in the office. There feels like a disconnect. The financial sector really wants all the workers back in the office. But when I talk with the broader corporate America, it feels like it's a bit mixed. How do you think it's going to play out? Again, just got about 35 seconds. Sorry. So, no, I think it's going to be a hybrid. I think it's going to be all of the above and not one or the other. I was on a panel with another panelist, and and what they were saying, I was saying, I'm in a talent war. And they said, it's not a war any longer. The talent has won the war, which means that they have more say in terms of how they work. And so to the extent that companies can be flexible and adaptable to meet the needs of the workforce, that's what's going to make them an attractive employer of choice. So I think it's going to be all of the above. All right. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Come back soon. Tamla Oates-Forney, she's Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer for Waste Management, uh, joining us on the phone from Houston, Texas. And I'll later on kind of post uh, the panel she was uh, a member of because it was just such great insight. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk the music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. Just about 10 and a half minutes left in today's trading session. It's the first trading day of the third quarter, and we do see some gains, as Charlie mentioned, in the S&P and the Dow. Tech stocks, though, really lagging. Let's get to it. Count it down to the closing bell here with J.J. Kinahan, Chief Market Strategist at TD Ameritrade. He is with us once again on the phone from Chicago. J.J., how's it going? Hey, Carol. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's nice to have you here. We're kind of tick-tocking down to the monthly jobs report tomorrow. We know that's a key metric, something that the Fed watches. Uh, how do you see it? How do you see it playing out in the markets potentially? Well, uh, I, you know, obviously people are pretty optimistic going into it. I think that there's a couple of things you want to look for in the report tomorrow. The first thing, of course, is always the top line number is that matching up. But what I really want to look at tomorrow is where are the jobs being created? And one area I'm really going to focus in on is hospitality and leisure. You want to see that people are going back to, you know, work in restaurants, work in bars, work in hotels, etc. Normally, when you're building employment, it's not a place you look for to build employment longer term. But in where we're at now in terms of recovery in cities and towns opening up everywhere, those are the jobs that seem to be uh, where people are having the most trouble filling. So it would be great to see those jobs come back. With that, that may lead to a little bit of a disappointing wage number if mm-hmm. we can outperform because, again, those aren't jobs that normally pay as high as hourly wage because they rely on. So those are that, those are two of the main things I'm going to look for in tomorrow's report. We are increasingly, though, hearing about wages, even for fast food workers, for mm-hmm. those in the hospitality industry, that wages are being increased to entice workers to come back. Is that going to be problematic for companies when we get into earnings? Um, it, it, it may be, but what I would say is in the shorter term, not necessarily, because I think the bigger thing many companies are suffering from right now 
is the ability to serve their clients at the rate they're used to being served. So if you can increase sales, that's going to more than be offset by the wage increases. Now, of course, that's, that's, that's a very tough scale, let's mm-hmm. face it. And I think that for the next year, that's going to be something that sort of plays out in real time for us as we get to see these earnings. The one thing it may lead to, Carol, is actually some uh, some of the bigger the bigger uh, fast food chains, maybe they close some of the restaurants that aren't as efficient or at making as much profit. So that would be the natural, I think, uh, sort of derivative of this playing out if those expenses start to become too high. Do you think we could see a rates market adjustment if for some reason we get a hotter than forecast monthly jobs report tomorrow, especially after the last two months have been disappointing? Uh, you may see a slight one. I don't see this being just coming off of Fed meeting. I don't know that I necessarily see this being more than an important data point. Unless there is an absolute huge miss or an absolute blowout number, I, I, I just don't see this as being that sort of number that sets us going crazy on rates one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 to your point, though, there's so much going on. You know, on the lead, and you guys talking about crude oil, right. obviously – that expense is one that hits people directly in the pocketbook very, very quickly, faster than any other commodity going up. So that combination may lead us to a problem in the fall, but I think people are so anxious to get out right now. Summer vacation plans have been made. People are not changing them, in my opinion, because they've had a few months to save money also in the short term. When we go back, when kids are back in school, when the normal, you know, I'll use air quotes on that, uh, life returns, people are back at work, normal expenses. Yeah, That's when I think you may see the uh, result of gasoline prices being higher start to affect the consumer. And that's when we have an opportunity where things could either uh, lead to inflationary pressures or probably worse yet, a significant cutback in spending. You guys at TD Ameritrade, you can see trends, flows. Where are investors you know, increasingly allocating money? Where's the interesting hotspots in the equity markets? What's been really interesting to me is to watch over the last uh, six weeks or so is we've seen the NASDAQ stock, particularly the FANG stock, start to lead us higher. Mm-hmm. How Apple and Microsoft, you know, we had this dip in May, and people came in to buy it. The, those two particularly, but the FANG stocks in general, sort of leading the way. Those two I, I call out because what's interesting to me, Carol, is they get the buy-the-dip mentality, the trusted blue chip if we go down, they'll outperform. But then on the upside, they get the great benefit of being viewed as growth stocks. And so with that, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of an, a, a double whammy that you, every stock would love. So they started, and I think people are starting to trust more technology now outside that over the last couple of weeks. We're starting to see some of the chip makers, et cetera, come into favor. And, you know, the one stock that's been a consistent buy for our clients the last few months has been Ford. And, really? Uh, and, well, it, it, the reasons that it makes sense to me is they we know that they're really good at distributing cars. Mm-hmm. They made a bigger commitment to electric vehicles. And let's face it, in terms of a pure price point, if you want to play it, you have a stock that's trading just under $15. So people can certainly afford it as part of their, uh, you know, at all account sizes, so to speak. There's a stock that's very affordable that's, you know, proven that they can distribute the cars. Now it's in the F-150. I think there's a lot of excitement around the, uh, you know, 
the, the EV of the F-150. It's wild because if I look at shares of Ford, uh, JJ, it's up almost 70% so far this year. But as you mentioned, it's got a PE, whether it's forward-looking or current, of about 12, 12, 13. So yeah. as you say, still affordable. Uh, where don't you want to be in this marketplace? Uh, I think the, the, the toughest question right now is, I won't say you don't want to be there, but you have to be patient with financials. I just don't see this rate picture uh, the tug of war, in my opinion, between is, is uh, inflation passing or is inflation here to stay? The tug of war is going to continue for a few months. So with that, I just don't see rates moving significantly one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to be long financials, heading into earnings, knowing that some have already said that their trading revenues are going to be down, interest rates haven't necessarily done them a favor over the last quarter. Uh, that that's one that it's going to test your patience if you buy it. Not saying that by the end of the year it won't turn out well, but you just have to be aware of that as we head into earnings season. Financials, by the way, everyone, uh, your second best performing major industry group in the S&P 500, up about 25%. Energy, of course, Mm -hmm. atop that list at 45%. 20 seconds here, JJ, got to be quick. Would you buy energy, though, even considering the run and the bounce back we've seen? I think you have to watch crude. We're just at 75 right now. It should run into some resistance about a dollar up from here, between 76, 76 and a half. I think that's actually the key area for it to break out in those energy stocks to respond to the upside. Going to run. Hey, have a great holiday weekend. JJ Kinahan, he's Chief Market Strategist over at TD Ameritrade, joining us on the phone from Chicago. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.